0: Gospel of John chapter six. They will consider verses forty-one to forty-seven. <clears throat> We're in the middle of this long discourse that's part sermon, part discussion, question and answers, long discourse which Jesus brought after he miraculously fed thousands of people, 5,000 we commonly refer to but it was 5,000 men plus their families, thousands of people with one little boy's lunch. It's in this discourse that Jesus says repeatedly that he is the bread of life who alone can satisfy the hungry soul of those who come to him in faith. Well since we're In the middle of it, let's just get right back into it, pick up our story in verse 41. Let me read. At this, the Jews began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father, and learns from him, comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God, only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I the bread of life. In this text, I think there are three truths that are woven through the text that I'd like for us to consider. and the first is this, you can know all about Jesus and still not know him at all. You can know all about Jesus and still not know him at all. As we return to our text this morning here, we hear grumbling going on grumbling, verse 41 says, the Jews began to grumble about him. I remember a few years in our home, we had, years ago in our home, we had a lot of grumbling going on. As I recall, uh, Nathan was about 13. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but I think it did. You see, grumbling is a response that we give to things when we know better. There's something about being 13 that you know better. In fact, that's kind of one of the things that happens during the teenage years. Teenagers are growing and they're learning. They're thinking for themselves in a way that they haven't before. And inevitably, there are times when they, should I say you, For some of you are sitting here, when you begin to think that you know better than your parents. Sometimes you do. So that doesn't negate your responsibility to honor and obey your parents. But whenever that situation arises where something happens and we know better, or we think we know better, our temptation is to grumble. Grumble. The word even sounds like grumbling, doesn't it? Grumble, 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 grumble. Who does Dad think he is anyway? Grumble, grumble. What does he know? Grumble, grumble. I'm an experienced grumbler. (laughs) And parent of grumblers. I would caution us. When we're tempted to grumble, be careful we may not know all we think we know. And that's kind of what's going on in our text here. Jesus had said he's the true bread which comes down from heaven to satisfy our soul. And the people start grumbling. Why? Because they're quite certain that they know better. Look at verse 42. This is not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know. How can he now say, I came down from heaven? We know better. I know his daddy. I've been in his carpenter shop lots of times. I've known him since he was a little tyke. I know his mom better than he does. I know his brothers and his sisters. Who does he think he is? I know better. And they grumble. that he makes a statement, I came down from heaven. They took all that they knew of Jesus and they fed it into this mental processor, which was all keyed to go in the natural, self-sufficient kind of mindset, and it process, they It does not compute. Could not be. I know better. It's just plain old Jesus, kid. I knew since he was little. Well, be careful. They knew all about Jesus, but they didn't know him at all. You see, they knew nothing of the angels' announcements very years ago, 30-some years ago. There's the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and you're going to conceive a child. The Holy Spirit, how can it be? I'm only a virgin. The Holy Spirit will cause you to conceive a child. You're calling Jesus. It's a fulfillment of the promise. God with us. They knew nothing of that. They knew nothing of the angel appearing to Joseph explaining, don't put this woman away, this is a thing of God that's happening here. This is the fulfillment of the prophet. They knew nothing of that. They knew nothing of the virgin birth. They knew nothing of the mysterious work of the Spirit. They knew nothing of who this Jesus was. They thought they knew it all, but they knew just enough to be ignorant of the truth. They knew all about Jesus, but they didn't know Him. This morning I want us to humble ourselves right here at the beginning and recognize how dangerous it is when we get so smart that we think we understand all about the Lord and his way. With all our scientific knowledge, our good education, we begin to understand all kinds of things about the physical universe. We live from the vast expanse of the heavens down to the minutia that we can only see under a microscope. We understand more of the analysis of the psychological makeup of man and different kinds of experiences and we begin to think that we understand it all and we can explain it all away. Be careful, be careful. God is in heaven. We are finite. We can understand all about everything. We can understand all about Jesus. We can understand all kinds of things and still not know him at all. I fear that some of us have been inoculated against real Christianity. We've heard all the Bible stories, we've learned all the church routine, we've learned to use the right language, we've learned all the Christian cliches, and now we've become immune to any real bad case of Christianity. That's how you vaccinate people, you know, you give them just a little bit of of the virus, Just not enough to hurt them, but just so that they build up a resistance, so that even if a full onslaught of that disease comes, they'll never catch it. How many of us have been given just enough taste of Christianity that we'll never get it real bad? Inoculation. For an issue of Christianity today, I read a paraphrase, of something Jonathan Edwards wrote way back in the 1700s, that professing Christians who have had truth drilled into them by others can talk a good game even when they are totally out of touch with supernatural reality. They can move pieces of theology around like markers on the map of a territory they have never visited. Real Christianity requires encounter with the 12th. Oh, Edwards is talking about the same thing. People being inoculated against any serious case of Christianity. He's pointing out that even in his day, as in our day, as in the days when Jesus spoke these words, you can know all about Jesus and still not know him at all. Do you know him? You kids that have grown up learned all the Bible stories maybe gone to Christian school. It's all come so easy. Talk church language. But do you know him? You're in fellowship with Jesus. Or is it just talk? Well, Jesus doesn't really defend himself against these grumblers. He just moves on to make another even more impressive point which is our second point you can't bring yourself to come to God you can't bring yourself to come to God you ever hear a cigarette smoker or a drinker argue how he's not really addicted some of you may have used this argument I'm not addicted I could stop if I wanted to I just don't want to Right? Exactly. That's the problem. You can't bring yourself to stop. That's how people are about the Lord sometimes. I could come to Christ if I wanted to, I just don't want to. I'm just not interested in religion right now. I'm not into that. Exactly. That's the problem. While we may kid ourselves about what we could do if we wanted to do, Jesus cuts right through all of that self-delusion and speaks quite an interesting truth. In verse 44, who says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Hmm. That's why we just can't bring ourselves to come to Jesus. No one can come unless the Father draws. Uh, Well, the point's made even clearer when we look at the specific verb which Jesus uses, the word for draw, when he says, unless the Father draws him. This is a word that always implies resistance to the drawing. It's used, for example, when the disciples are out fishing and they begin to bring in the the nets, and the nets are full of fish, and with all their might, they're pulling, drawing those nets of fish in. The fish don't want to come in. There's resistance. Or used when Paul and Silas are dragged, drawn before the civil magistrate. They're not all that excited about coming to be flogged. They drag them out of their cell. Resistance. In the same way we resist God's drawings. We not only can't bring ourselves to come to God, we resist when he draws us, when he tries to bring us to himself. We run as fast as we can in the other direction. Uh, But that resistance is always overcome. As the New Testament scholar Leon Morris points out, there is not one example in the whole New Testament of use of this word where the resistance is successful. Always the drawing power is triumphant. Well apart from this wonderful truth none of us would ever be saved for we just cannot bring ourselves to come to God unless God draws us we would never come Oh but don't be mistaken when we say that it's necessary for the Father to draw us and when we say that there's always resistance to that drawing we're not implying that we come unwillingly Oh, that we come hogtied to the Lord. And it, oh no, that's not the case. As Dr. Carson points out very pointedly, when he compels belief, it is not the savage constraint of a rapist. It's the wonderful wooing of a lover. It is by an insight. It is by a teaching. It is by an illumination implanted within us. It's a loving courtship. The Father draws us, draws us to the Son. Apart from that loving courtship, we would have no hope. But we just can't bring ourselves to come to God. And Jesus says, this is exactly what the prophet said was going to happen. He quotes in verse 45, he quotes from Isaiah 54. It is written in the prophets. They will all be taught by God. In Isaiah 54, Isaiah is talking about this glorious time when the Messiah comes, when the, when, the, when the atonement is complete that was described in chapter 53, and how the Lord is going to restore His bride, and He's going to build His family, and He's going to build the holy city, and He's going to teach His children Himself in order to build this holy city. Jesus says, this is that. This is it. This is the beginning of that. That God Himself is drawing people, making them His children, drawing them to me, the bread of life, who gives them eternal life. This is that wonderful, redemptive work that the prophet spoke of, that God Himself will teach, will draw. Actually, Jesus says in that verse, everyone who has listened, Everyone who has learned from the Father is coming. That's how Jesus explains why some are coming and some are grumbling. Because some don't understand. They know all about Jesus, but they don't know him. And others are being drawn by the Father. And they're listening. And they're understanding. And they're coming. You just can't Bring ourselves to God, or as Jesus puts it, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Well, that truth may be an affront to us, but this is what the Scripture says. Paul says the same thing. The natural man does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for there's foolishness to it. And he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. Or as Thomas Oden says, pointedly, it is God. Who allows God to become recognized? We can't bring ourselves to come to God. That is a truth that humbles us into God. It destroys our sense of self-sufficiency. I've got it under control. Oh, no, I don't. It shatters our confidence that we can come whenever we get good and ready. I'm going to get around to serving the Lord someday. I just, I'm just i busy right now doing my thing. We realize, I'm a God's disposal. I can't control that. It pulls our pride that somehow the reason we're following Christ is that we're a little smarter than those others No. Because... We're no more capable of coming to Him understanding than they are. It creates a sense of utter helplessness to realize that no matter how I may hate my addiction to sin, I just can't bring myself to come to God. I'm helpless. I'm going to tumble this in the dark, though. And listen to the glory. would it points us beyond ourselves and our own self sufficiency and our own self reliance to the infinite plan of God, his infinite grace displayed in Jesus. This is what our third point was about This Jesus As there is not one thread of doubt concerning our inability to bring ourselves, neither is there one thread of uncertainty concerning Jesus' success in bringing us. He said it way back in verse 39 that we looked at last week. This is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of all that he has given me. But raise them up at the last day. And now he says it again. In verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And the promise is stated again in verse 47, I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. This is not some could be, hope so, might be, hope it works out, maybe so, speculation. This is God's promise, his guarantee that He will bring every single one that He has chosen, that He draws Himself, and they will be raised on the last day, Jesus came to bring us to God. Now, He's the only one who has the right to make such a claim. All the religions of the world may tell us how to live some ethical life, may tell us how to have a nice society, But Jesus alone has seen the Father, has been there, is one with the Father, has known the Father, been united with him in the most personal, intimate relationship from all of eternity. Jesus alone knows what he's talking about. John made the point at the beginning of the gospel, no one has seen God, but God the one and only who is at the Father's side the only one. Philippians 2 makes the same point. He is in fair nature of God. Hebrews 1 makes the same point. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. But this one who has dwelt with the Father from all of eternity, who alone, the only one ever who has seen the Father, who has been in the Father's presence, has come, come from heaven. That's the whole point here that they grumble about. But that is an unmistakable point, that this one has come from the Father. Verse 33, the bread of life is he who comes down from heaven. Verse 41, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Verse 42, how can he say, I came down from heaven? Verse 46, he's the one who is from God. In verse 50, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. You see, the glorious truth here is not just that. There is an eternal Son who dwells in the presence of the Father. That's not the most glorious truth. The most glorious truth is that the eternal Son who is with the Father, who is with God, who is God, who was there in the beginning, who created all things, has come down from heaven and has taken upon himself mortal flesh and has lived under the stricture of the law and has offered his perfect wife as a sacrifice for sin, and has been raised from the dead in order to bring us to God. That's the good news. That message, that truth, is unparalleled in the world. Among all the religions of the world, there is no such claim anywhere. Only Jesus makes such a claim, and yet he doesn't just make the claim, he explains how this is what the prophet foretold. He confirms his claim by miraculous signs and wonders. He proves his identity, he proves the success of his work by rising from the dead. Jesus came to bring us, lock, stock, and barrel to God, what we could not ever do, to do for us. You everyone can talk about religion. You can make up your own religion if you want to. You can make your car into your religion and worship it and shine Everybody's religious. Only Jesus can bring us to God. You can practice some religion for thousands of years and have a great history and a great community, but only Jesus can bring us to God. Fruit. You can know all about Jesus and still not really ever know it. Oh, this morning I coughed. I get such a complacency. I know all that stuff. I studied this, given my life to study this for you and you and you, and I don't begin to know. Be. You think you've got Jesus down pat? I'm talking. You don't know. That's what the drones about. They didn't know. But we got a problem. We can't bring ourselves to come to God. I know that we intend to someday. But we're kidding ourselves. The day will never come. Indeed, Jesus said, No one can come to me unless the Father draws." I hope that makes you feel helpful. I hope that scares the willies out. If you realize, I'm at God's mercy. I'm at Mr. Spokel. If He doesn't draw me, there's nothing I can do. I hope it's a little fight. It should be. But if God and His grace brings you to the end of your rope, see how helpless and desperate you are and how you can do nothing to affect your own salvation, then hear this great truth of the gospel. Jesus has come into the world to the Father. Today I call you to Jesus. I call you to abandon everything and follow him. To believe in him, to trust him, to entrust yourself to him, to call upon him for his mercy, to cling to him, to follow him no matter what the cost to abandon everything, if that's necessary, in order to follow this Jesus. For in Him, and in Him alone, there is forgiveness. There is life with God. There is eternal life. I call you to believe, So I've heard that before. I've heard that since I was a kid. You will never outgrow the need to hear it again. For you have nothing except this, that Jesus came to bring us to God. And that's our only hope. The fact that we've sat in a church for 50 years or served on the council decades means nothing. We have only faith. help, that's all. To turn him anew, cling to him afresh more tenaciously than ever. Rest in him more securely than ever. Abandon everything if necessary to follow him for he can bring us, will bring us to God. Amen. So we pray. Oh Lord, thank you for your great truth. Lord, it's an affront to us, for we think that we're so in control of our lives. We think we can just do whatever we decide. And here you say that we're not in control. And it's a bit frightening, Lord, In fact that we really understand it is terrifying. We think that we're at the mercy of the very God who is offended by God. Father, who's never felt the conviction, the terror, the fear of the Lord. I pray that in Your grace, grant You grant us understand that that's our situation. The Lord, today, we see here again the most glorious truth more glorious than the, the greatest thing ever conceived by any human being, more glorious than anything, that you have laid your glory aside come into this world to bring us to yourself, to redeem us, to take our sins, to make us new. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you for your grace. Grant that we can live our whole life and grant Grant, Lord, that we can never turn away. We never think that somehow we've got you over the barrel and we can do what we please. Lord, may we cling to your mercy, grace, and rest in your promise. Thank you for your promise that you'll keep us doing that. Until the day that you raise us up, we wish you forever.